Darwinism is true. And if you had a big enough shovel, shovel, you could dig down in the ground and you would find fossils that demonstrate that man, over time, has adapted and evolved. And you're like, okay, I can actually imagine that. I can imagine what you're saying. There's somewhere buried in the ground all kinds of fossils that prove that Darwinism is true. However, has anyone found them? No. This is the missing, this is like the missing ingredient that to me makes Darwinism laughable. Where's the fossil record? There's no fossil record. So the idea sounds actually at sometimes more imaginative than even the Christian idea of creation, right? I mean, who doesn't love the story of Darwinism, right? That gritty little amoeba climbed itself out of that muck and look what it did with itself. My goodness, it's kind of <laughs> right? We lo- it's, it captures the imagination. And this is why it's so effective. And this is why it's everywhere. The problem is you go into reality and you can't find it anywhere. Okay. Now, can you guys think of something else uh, in the modern culture wars where um, there's something that's assumed to be true, but it doesn't correspond to anything in reality? Matter. Matter? Yes. How, how so? <laughs> uh, I just recently was learning a little bit about quantum theory and how matter may not actually be a physical thing. There's like the idea of being a physicalist and a... And uh, I can't remember the other song, but the idea that matter, the cellular, the cellular level, is actually more is a, a, actually a quantum equation that's interpreted by the mind, rather than actually being a physical material. So, wow, that's some heavy stuff, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's very, it's interesting. Yeah, so it's interesting. yeah, it is interesting. So, so you get right because this is how when you're teaching about natural revelation. Everything is made out of God's words. So, so if you get down to brass tacks, like what is this? This wall seems very hard to us, but what is it really? Right. What is really here? This is why. Yeah, arguably, this is Jesus. He walks. He he enters a locked room um, where the disciples are, and the idea that we determined is that he walked through it because he's more real than the wall. So he is now real matter. He, the resurrected Jesus. Uh, and who's ascending to his glorified state is more real than the building and the people in the building. The building was the ghostly. Yeah, and so this is this crazy metaphysical idea. Now you get into quantum physics and you're like, this might actually be possible, right? (laughs) And and it's things like that all the time. Like people talk to me about an expanding universe. And I'm like, well, it clearly is expanding. And it's interesting because if you go in the Old Testament, it says that God is, um, he's opening the cosmos like a curtain. Which a curtain does what? It's small and then it gets right. it's bigger. <laughs> You're like, oh yeah, that's in the Old Testament. I know all about that. <laughs> um, and it's it's something too, like the idea of the endless number of snowflakes. And there's like a reference in the Bible about um, the treasure that God has in heaven and how none of it looks the same. And, and he keeps these things in heaven for himself and occasionally shares them. And that's what he's doing every time it snows, right? He knows every individual design personally. And he loves it. And now he gets to share it with all of you. And most of you can't, don't even get to enjoy it on the same level he does. And so you find out like these different crazy things, right? Like, okay, so we all believed for many years about atoms, right? Atoms, nuclear cells. Now there's apparently up quarks and down quarks. And then they, <laughs> so like they keep getting smaller and smaller. What do you so think they find? If they could, they could really look at it under a microscope, and ultimately what are they going to discover is there? Streams. 
Yeah. Strings. Yeah. Just keep going down. Yeah, going down. Strings. It's turtles all the way down, right? Yeah. Strings all the way down. Well, what if they just find nothing? What if there's just nothing there, right? And I mean, what is it? What is everything? It's the Word of God. Everything is the Word of God. And so what is the stuff actually, how does it physically work? We were talking about this last night, too, about uh, DNA. How you have to have DNA, which is this code, um, and there's a, the, like a code for the eye, for an eye is the same, and the code for lungs are the same, and, and, every, and DNA is made up of all these different things, and then you have RNA, which is a computer that reads the code, that processes the code. Um, and so you, you find out like there, there's this grand, complicated mechanism by which everything exists and holds together, and then you turn to Colossians, and it's his name is Jesus. So it's fascinating when you're trying to reconcile what we learn in science and the scriptures. And, and I think um, this is a very helpful process in doing so. Okay, how about systemic racism? I always like to be a controversial. <laughs> right after the fossil record. Yeah, yeah right after the fossil record. <laughs> like, okay, let's talk about it. The haves <clears throat> pulled down the have-nots. And it's not about money anymore, it's about race. Okay? Mm -hmm. The whiteies have it all and the blacks don't, and we hold them down because they're blacks. And you're like, man, I can actually imagine such a world. Because I've been, in, I've, I've been in this world, I've seen it. That's crazy. But then you go out and you say, like, okay, let's go find systemic racism. And you're like, well, wait, I just, there's a black president, and there's black superstars, and there's black movie stars, and there's black authors, and everyone loves Maya Angelou. I don't understand <laughs> what you're talking about. Now, are there instances of individual racism? Yes, of course. Yes. That would be absurd. You can, logically, you can, you can tell. You can imagine such a thing, and you can find such a thing corresponding in reality. Systemic racism, on the, on the other hand, I don't think you can. I don't think you can find it. Okay, is there any other? Let's, let's talk. Anybody got any other controversial ideas? A boy can turn into a girl. Oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, like, or, um, yeah, gender relations, egalitarianism. Any woman can do any job as well as any man. And you're like, wow, I, that seems, right? It seems logical. Mm -hmm. uh, I can even yeah. imagine such a world. Why don't you turn around? Any man can do any job. Any woman can. Yeah, there you go. You go they either way. But they can't. And then what you find is you go into the world and you find out that men can't do all the things that women can do. And women can't do all the things that men can do. Um, which, um, policing is my background. And so policing, introducing women into patrol cars was a, has been a very catastrophic idea. It's a catastrophic idea. Why they feel like... Having women on police departments theoretically helps the police department be more nurturing and loving and more community focused. It's true. That was the idea originally. Mm -hmm. And I actually think you can, that corresponds to reality. But then you put them in radio cars and the amount of violence that, that happens now between police officers and the public has increased. Does anyone know what, like some reasons as to why? Why would you put women in patrol cars and suddenly violence goes up? Because they know they can overpower a woman. Yeah, right? And because I, my father was a policeman. So he used to be able to pick someone up and throw them down on the ground so hard that they would just pass out. Okay? And then he would get it, and then his female, the two, two women in the patrol car would have to get out their nightsticks and literally put somebody in it and crack their skull in order to get them to stop moving. Mm -hmm. um, and, and like, so then what you also have to do is you can't have them alone. So typically they're in two person cars. So then instead of having two patrol cars, you have one patrol car. And that alone in the 70s, like, devastated. Part of the rising crime in the 80s was the fact that they had fewer cars on the streets in the 70s, hmm. going into the 80s. 
Um, and I, I'm just talking about this because this is one that I know. Now, I always have to tell the story, of course, because generalizations are true, but there's always outliers. So her name is Carol Minakami. She was my dad's partner in the late 70s, early 80s. She was an international taekwondo champion. She was like 5'2", tiny little thing. And uh, she was absolutely the most ferocious police officer my dad ever worked with. And there's a funny story where they were at a call in this hotel, and there's a Samoan, this like, huge guy, he's like 6'8", 500 pounds. And she's on his back like with her nightstick, like choking him like a, she's on there like a cape, it looks like. And they're like crashing through the walls of this hotel. And my dad is like, okay, I've had enough of this. So he hauls back to punch the guy. And right at the last second, he turns and he punches Carol in the face. Oh, no. And Carol says, listen, if you don't hit him harder than that, we're going to lose. <laughs> she's retired now in Arizona. She's, she's awesome. Um, but she always, everybody was always like, you'd see my dad's friends be like, yeah, I don't know about ladies and, well, Carol. We'd all take Carol in a squad car. <laughs> But egalitarianism either way, right? Have you guys seen the pictures of the, the Secretary of Transportation wearing the fake boobs, oh. breastfeeding his baby? Yeah. Well, the, the, the nation's burning down because nobody, like, we're having severe shortages of all kinds of things. And he's on maternity leave. I think they're even just calling it that um, because he's at home with his babies breastfeeding him. Have you guys seen the picture? It's hilarious. Like, they want us to take it seriously, but it's not. He's got this, like, plastic thing that looks like boobs, and he's breastfeeding the baby. <laughs> yeah, he and his gay partner just had twins. And they like took a picture in the medical, like they were in a hospital bed with the babies, and you're like, what, what? you guys adopted these children. You're, like, why are you in a hospital in a hospital bed? You're like, and so my reason, my imagination, I can't really imagine this, and then I look at the world and I'm like, no, this is this this reality that you're creating is not real. Yeah. Right? It's fake. Um, the first four star admiral in the what is it, the health department? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The first female is a male. And you're like, where did we break down in this order of, of logic here? What happened? Right? The corresponding reality is that's not a, that's not a woman. And like, ha, like, how insulting, I'm not a huge fan of feminism. But at least, at least, if you're going to let them, if you're going to do this, at least let it actually be a female. Like, if we went through all this trouble for the last 150 years of feminism, could we actually have some real women doing it? <laughs> Seriously, after all this work. But like, what does it tell us that providentially, here at the, on the, literally on the one yard line of feminism, just like actually accomplishing what it set out to do, they're inserting now men for women. It's mm -hmm. hilarious to me. And so something else is going on. Right? And, and so my logic and my imagination aren't intact, and what I'm seeing is they're putting together a world that doesn't actually exist. It's make-believe. It's a make-believe world that we live in now. Mm -hmm. And I constantly am trying, you know, everyone was told it's, as a small child, that the, the truck was blue, and I feel like I'm going around telling them the truck is really red. Like, the fire truck is red. I don't know who told you that it's blue. Does anyone ever feel that way? Yeah, that's no good. Because I, I think I mentioned this before, but what, like, what comes first, knowing or believing? So when you were a small, small child, and you're, and you're playing on the ground, and, and you have a fire truck there, and your mother comes in and tells you that the fire truck is red. And you say, oh, okay, it's red. Now, do you know it's red, or do you just believe it's red? You just believe it. Okay, so then do you eventually come to know that it's red? Yes. Okay, now can you name anything in your life, that, any knowledge you have that didn't, that didn't work that way? 
all of our knowledge began with beliefs. And we don't come to know until later. So, so part of the correspondence theory of truth is you're going back and you're undoing presuppositions. You're going back and you're undoing fundamental beliefs that people have. And, and this is why, you know, as an, as an apologist, um, well, I've always, I've always had trouble with this because I, I'm a converted person. I was in my 20s, mid-20s. Do you know what didn't work with sending someone to my door to tell me that Jesus was a savior? Because I'd heard that before. I've been to Christmas services my whole life. It wasn't until someone told me the bad news and dealt with the fact of my underlying assumptions. I'm not a good person. I am a criminal. I belong in jail. I belong in hell. I belong on the, on the guillotine. I'm actually a person. It's bad news. Then you told me the good news, and I believed it. Okay? So this is what, what I find with apologetics and evangelism is we're always starting with the wrong end. Mm. Your, your co-workers don't care about Jesus the Savior. They don't care about that. What, because it doesn't make, they don't need saving. You, you have to first convince them that they actually need saving. Right? Everything that we're talking about, um, this poor guy who's breastfeeding this baby, like, imagine all the things he believes. And so what, how would I address that problem with him? You're, you're, right? you're not a mom. You'd be like, well, I am a mom, right? There's no difference between men and women. I can be just as much a mom as anyone. And you're like, okay, let's, let's go back to the beginning. Right? And, and what I find is a lot of our apologetics, and we're so bad at apologetics these days, modern Christians, is because we start at the wrong end. We have to go back and be like, okay, let's deal with this. Let's, let's deal with the logic of what we're talking about. Now, can you imagine such a thing? And now that you can imagine such a thing, let's go and find out if it corresponds to reality. Okay, and what we're doing is we're just telling people that what you're talking about isn't real. Has anyone had this conversation? I've had conversations with progressive friends and family members. And then I'm just like, that doesn't, that's not, that man is not a woman. And, and I'm, I'm here down at the end of the line, right? And I'm, I'm trying to convince them of something down here, and it's not going to work. Because there's all these things that they've already assumed to be true. So whenever we're dealing with ideas, you always have to start with the underlying assumptions that people and I think working them through this process is very helpful. You start with the logic, okay? Now can you imagine it? And now that you can imagine it, can we find anywhere in the actual world in which this thing exists? <coughs> um, you guys have any questions about this so far? Questions, comments? No. Should we throw up some more ideas and see how they don't correspond to reality? Or do you have those? <laughs> You guys get the idea. So, um, going back for a moment. So Christian theology, that was originally what this chapter was about. The truth that we find in the world is a reflection of God's mind. His goodness, his beauty, his glory um, is impressed in creation. So in creation is full of, when we go down and we look at things under a microscope, we weigh them, we burn them, we taste them, we smell them, we're discovering data about the world, Correct. Well, this is partially why science has become so, so nonsensical. It's because ultimately, what is all of this data about? Right? And if I study flowers, and I make a whole career out of studying flowers, what am I actually studying? Flowers? You're studying creation. I'm studying creation, which is what? God. A reflection? Yeah, a reflection of God. Of God. So what has happened to modern man that we've disassociated um, our modern scientific minds from the actual 
purpose, the actual arcade, the logos of what we're looking at. So I, I, I'm staring at it, I'm staring at all this data, and I think, oh my gosh, God is amazing, right? It's, but that's not what secularists are looking at. They're trying to make sense of it all. They're still looking for a logos in an arcade. Yeah. And what are the arcades and the logoses they're coming up with? Well, that's what um, we're going to be talking about in, in the future, because the four uh, horsemen of the apocalypse. Darwin, Nietzsche, Freud, and Marx—they are the—they were the ones where they disconnected the reflection of God from the data they were collecting, whether it was sociology, economics, science, philosophy. They, they disconnected this thing, and so they went out and created a world that they could imagine. They could imagine it, and lots of people could imagine it. And then they went to uh, into reality, and what you find out is it breaks down. Does communism ever work? No. No. Well, it never will. You can try it a thousand times. You know what you're going to end up with every time? Mass graves. Every time. Okay? That only goes one direction. And, and so what we have to remember is what our ultimate purpose is. Whatever our professions are, right? right? Whether you're in the sciences or not. The idea is the reflection of God's glory. So either right, we're, we're, we're being it or we're studying it or we're declaring it. Some, every, everything that we do, whether you're a nanny or you're flipping cheeseburgers, everything is about the glory of God. Now, is, is that, what do you guys think about that? Is that how you think about your work? <laughs> the most mundane things we do. It's about reflecting the glory of God, discovering the glory of God, proclaiming the glory of God. And that's what a theologian's job is. A theologian takes data and discovers how it reflects the glory of God. Okay, we're finding out more and more about the mind of God, the beauty of God, the ethics of God. And all theology is that. If it does something else, okay, if you're creating a school of thought, if you're creating a university, if you're creating a denomination, it's like, what kingdom are you building? Everything that a theologian ought to do, and you're all theologians, is about discovering, reflecting, and proclaiming the glory of God. No matter what, what it is that you're doing. Right? How, how is flipping cheeseburgers glorifying, reflecting the glory of God? Anybody? Are those hapless teenagers out there working at Wendy's? <laughs> <laughs> well, if you think about, you're going to say something, Laura. Come on now. A lot of this attitude with which you do something. Yep. Yeah. If you're doing normally while you're flipping your cheeseburgers, it's a lot different than being thankful when you have a job, trying to. Think about those around you and kind of be a, um, a joyful presence yeah. to those you work with. Mm -hmm. um, it doesn't matter what your job is, those things are kind of basic. Yeah. Yeah, and so I think you're correct. There is a lot to do with the attitude. And in the beginning, in a garden, what was the garden covered in? What, what were the trees in the garden covered in? That you, right? Fruit. Fruit. Mm -hmm. So God in the beginning was a God who fed mankind. And what does he tell the church? He says, Feed my sheep. So the guy is the guy flipping cheeseburgers is reflecting God in the fact that God feeds humanity. And uh, if I had to flip burgers, I would have to tell myself that all the time because <laughs> I can't imagine flipping burgers for a job because it just seems so mundane. But like that, that this is how the medievals, the Christendom, um, at its height, right? Even the milkmaid glorifies God because she's doing the work of God, right? She's she's glorifying Him, reflecting Him, claiming Him by what she does. And this has to go into like a lot about the dignity of our work, and the dignity of work in general. <clears throat> but I won't take any more time about that. 
Have you experienced the joy of eating a square burger? (laughs) (laughs) Have I? Have yeah, it's pretty amazing. (laughs) (laughs) I can not only imagine it; I can find it corresponds in reality to the actual square burgers. They actually exist. Are the buns square though? That's what I can hear. No, no, just the just the burger. I bought. I spend a lot of money on these because my kids. I don't eat them very much for something. They're always like, this is so good. Yay. Glory of God. Okay, so um, one one of the interesting things about moderns um, is that in order to determine even natural law, uh, or or the natural laws like gravity, say, you have to have a fixed world. Um, It's really interesting how um, chaos plus chance equals the cosmos in the mind of a Darwinist. You need your husband? Your needed husband. Okay. Reflecting the glory of God. So chaos plus chance uh, equals everything you see. Okay? So, but do do, um, secularists really think that the world is full of chaos? Do they really? What you find is a, a, a cognitive dissonance when it comes to this. Because they think it began with chaos, that through chance there became order. Um, but but it's, it just seems very strange to me that there's so much order. Like they, they, really, they assume that the world in which they exist has all this control. There is a logos to it. And, and you know, but how? It's just explaining how. What, what is the Logos? How does it function? Why is there so much order? Why does gravity, why is gravity something that we can actually measure? Which, by the way, I, I love. Does anyone know the theory of gravity? I think it's important, when, even when it comes to things like gravity, that we refer to it as a theory. Because it is only a theory. Because gra- the theory of gravity is in a mathematical equation that expresses the relation of two objects in motion. Okay, that, that's what it is. It doesn't tell us, it, right, it tells us how it functions. It doesn't tell us what gravity is. You can't measure, like you can't get gravity and put it under a microscope, can you? But we understand that it exists. But it's really funny how some, so much of a bedrock even the theory of gravity has become. People, when you get to like string theory and all that stuff, it's like gravity has this huge, it, it is almost the logos to the universe, but nobody can tell us what it is. They can just tell us how it works. And, and I think increasingly, intelligent Christians ought to talk this way, right? It's the theory of gravity. It's, it's not settled science. Any, like the idea of settled science is anti-science. Because the very nature of science, going back, is discovery. We're, we're constantly adding to what we already know. We're, we're taking away and adding to what we already know. Oh, well, you know, x-rays are amazing, but apparently if you do it too much, it can kill you. <laughs> that was a helpful discovery, right? The original discovery of x-ray was awesome. They did some more research and they found out this is a great tool that's very dangerous. Um, and, and what I just, I find to be so <clears throat> fascinating is that how much the settled science, it, it, it just becomes this like bedrock belief that people have. They just believe it. And they hold on to it and defend it like a religion. Um, where any intelligent Christian understands that science is never settled. Okay? 
Now, is theology ever settled? Given the way I'm describing science, given the way I described theology in the beginning, is theology ever settled? No. Only in right. the primary doctrine. Yes. There's some things that are explicit, right. just not all things. Yeah, and I, and I think what this reveals is that we talk about theology like we talk about science, and we talk about it incorrectly. Because I would say that the, like, when it comes to theology, it's not primary and secondary is a way that most people describe it. But I would say that it's better to say clear and unclear. There's a great deal that's very clear, even to a small child. And yet there are, there are things that are very complex that take us a really long time to un unravel. Um, and so you, there's like a sliding scale in theology. So we have to settle on what's very clear. Uh, there, you know, Jesus is both God and man. Right? They settle that. You go to the definition of um, Chalcedon, and, I, and like there's Trinitarianism. And we haven't, there's a reason we haven't changed it in 1,600 years. Like you can't really improve upon the idea at this point. You can only try to explain it. And that's what I like. It's like that part was very clear. Let's just deal with that first. Now we're like way down 2,000 years into the church and we're discussing things like what? Like what are the big theological ideas that we discuss now? Um, virgin birth. The virgin birth? Is that a big one? Hearing that. Yeah, you're hearing about that one? The one that I hear a lot about, about amongst the doctors in the church now is the, the eternal subordination of the son. We're like, are we so settled in our minds about all this other stuff that you want to talk about eternity past and what was going on between the God, God the Father and God the Son? <laughs> because they talk about this eternal subordination of the Son, which in fact makes the Logos a demigod and not God. Because he, how, how do you have the Son eternally subordinate to the Father? <laughs> and they be co-equal. And like this is, I'm not kidding, in the last two years, uh, this has been, a lot of talk has been about this subject. And our presbyteries this week, we're going to be debating a, a, a statement by the CRC about the eternal subordination of the Son. And I was reading it, and I was like, I have so many other things that I've worked like, <laughs> We're still discussing what form of baptism to use in my church, so you guys can talk about the subordination of the Son all you like. I'm going to probably go have coffee at that point in the debate, come back and just vote no. <laughs> but, but it's a very complex world in which we live and, and, and I think that you know, we have to be very careful of not accusing um, progressives and unbelievers of the very things we're doing ourselves right? I mean, like, well your worldview is very unsettled and then you're like yeah have you, have you seen a book of church history lately and you're like yes, yes right? man is progressing saint, being sanctified just like an individual person is, man is. Just like an individual church is. Just like uh, an individual nations are. We're being sanctified. And, and so do you understand now more than you did two years ago about the Christian faith? Most of you. As your pastor, most of your pastor, I would say yes. Okay. Now, did you understand more then than you did two years previously? Right? Now, in, in the Western world, is our problem what? Is it that we've forgotten things and we didn't carry things over into the modern world? Have we forgotten things or are, are we progressing along at a nice clip? Like, is the world more, <laughs> more sanctified now than it was, like the United States? Are we, how are we doing? Are we, are we on an upward trajectory, downward trajectory? We've forgotten a lot. <laughs> we have forgotten a lot, right? Um, one of them is, right, and that's what we're going to be talking about, this modern paradigm that, we're, that exists, that we're all swimming in. 
Um, you know, if you tell a fish it's wet, it doesn't know what you're talking about. And so what we have to do and what we're doing with this class is stepping outside of the modern paradigm and looking at it. Because it's very hard to do that um, unless you actually really stop and think about it. Let's, let's get out of the water for a moment and consider the pond we're in. And the modern paradigm is, is, is this thing that has forgotten more than it knows um, for very, very specific reasons. Darwinism, Marxism, Freudianism, Nietzscheanism, all of these things have flipped everything on its head. And, and it's creating an imaginary world. Let, let's live in this utopian world that can't possibly exist because everyone forgot the bad news of the garden. <laughs> right? um, and, and so undoing that, even in our own minds, is very hard. But at the same time, we can't defend our faith like the secularists defend theirs. So that's why teaching you about the correspondence theory of truth is very helpful. Because I think it helps unlock this modern paradigm that we all think about. Where, where we ne necessarily assume whatever exists now is better than what came before it. Because we're all Darwinists now. If you stopped and thought about your own thinking, you would realize that you're, you generally are thinking like a Darwinist. It's very, very hard not to. Because we all assume in almost every category of life, things are better now than they used to be. Right? I mean, uh, who would want to, would anyone actually want to live in the 1200s? Right. I mean, we, we have some sort of romantic ideas about it. But, like, the first thing I think of is toilets. Mm. And then you actually do a little research, and there were places in the world that had indoor toilets. And mm. you're like, wait, what? <laughs> I thought everything now was better than it used to be. And, and I think it's one of the fundamental assumptions. And so talking about these things, talking about our own, our own epistemological processes and, and dealing with the epistemological processes of others is going to just make us stronger in the faith. So if you can logically, right, if the logic works out and you can imagine such a thing, what do you have to do at that moment? Once you can imagine the truth that you've discovered, what do you, what's the last thing that you have to go do? Go see exactly true. Go see if it's actually true. And when you're undoing um, the, uh, the realities of others, right, what, what's the best place to begin? If you're going to tell somebody that the truck, right. what's that? In your, in your own head? Yeah, in your own head, yes. Get the log out of your eye before you deal with the speck. But if you're going to tell somebody that the truck is actually red and not blue, what do you have to do in order to convince them of that? Where do you just begin? start with the presupposition. You start upstream at the right. things that they assumed that led them to know that the truck was blue instead of red. Okay? Mm -hmm. <laughs> So that way, right, now it's Thanksgiving is coming. You guys are all going to be spending more time with your, your family members. I, you're going to be well-armed now to not argue uh, foolishly. But you'll be able to argue somewhat more, I think, coherently. Uh, and especially jot with some joy. That's another thing we're going to talk about. Like, C.S. Lewis had a lot of joy. People liked debating with him because he was fierce. But he was also very happy. It may have been all the beer he was drinking. <laughs> but I don't think that was the only thing. Okay? So, um, all right, so next week what we're going to be talking about is the modern paradigm and how it came to be, okay? So it's uh, uh, Louis Agonisti's, I forget what page number. Does someone have the outline for this class? Next week or is it week? Nope, next week. I'll, I'll be here next week. What is, what's the homework? Is it, uh, is it 29 to 39? Yeah, so we'll be talking about unpacking um, the modernist paradigm, pages 29 to 39.
So if you read those, then you'll be good to go. Um, and there's um, a couple of other essays in his book, God in the Dock, that are helpful. Uh, Evil and God is one of them. If you read that one, it, it should help you understand the, the modern paradigm. Okay, any questions? Awesome. Cool. Well, you guys have a great day.